That's interesting. Is a mic on? You never know what this sound system is going to do. All right. Should I just continue? Should I just... He wants me to keep talking to you. Did you have a good day? All right. All right. Okay. It, it went for a minute. It went away for a minute there. Keep talking. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you look better than last time I saw you. You want me to go on? Okay. He's going to be working on it. We're going to go on. And it is hot in here. It is hot in here. Can they? Can they? It's not? Well, I'm looking at 30 women fanning. Okay. So it's hot and I'm getting hiss. Satan hates this series. I mean, he hates this series. All right. Last time we ended talking about how the Christian is to get dressed in Jesus. How many of you thought about that this week? Get dressed in Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus and put off the old man is one of the Apostle Paul's constant refrains. He's always talking about that. Now, starting with verse 25, he continues with his practical advice on how to put on that new man and live a life that glorifies God. Now, his first focus is going to be with the words of our mouth. Now, he's going to get real practical. Now, you want to put on Jesus? He's to put on Jesus. Let me tell you how you do that. Let me get practical. Let me break it down. So the first thing he focuses on is our talk, our speech, the things we say. Look what he says in verse 25. Therefore, everybody say putting away. How do you quit lying? You just stop it. You put it away. Putting away, lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Amen. Now, if God is truth, and how many of you know he's truth? All right, then we must put off falsehood. Write down a little white lies. And instead, speak truthfully. And in our speaking truthfully, we don't have to be cruel. You know, um, oh gosh, I'm going to be careful here. Uh, uh, honey, do I look too big in this dress? No, that's a sanctified lie. I'm just saying, or, you know, you walk into church and we lie all the time. We walk into church. Hey, it's so good to see you. You look incredible. And inside we're thinking, what have they done to themselves? We lie. All right. We should, let me say this carefully, but there are times we should not be utterly truthful, lest we damage somebody. That's different from a evil lie. We shouldn't be cruel. Instead, it says speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him. So say with me, speaking the truth in love. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's how you say it. It's the tone in which you say it. You, you can cut somebody to pieces and then you can say the very same thing in love and it doesn't cut them at all. So you got to be careful how you say what you say, speaking the truth in love. If God is the ultimate truth and we are created to be like God, there it went. Everybody give the Lord a hand. Are you back there, Tyler? What was it? Look at his, his thumb. 
Give Tyler a hand. I appreciate him. Tyler is a judge, a real judge, and uh, yet he gets back there uh, in a pretty thankless task. If I don't remember to thank him, I don't think very many people do thank him. So let's give Tyler a hand one more time. He's, he did a good job. Now, God is the God of ultimate truth, and if we're to be like him, then we should not lie. Contrary to the God we did follow, whose name was Satan, who is the God of this world. And what, how did Jesus describe Satan? He said he's a liar and he's the father of lies. That means he spawns every lie. So when we lie, we're like the devil. When we're truthful with love, we're like our father in heaven. Well, we have switched fathers. We've been adopted by the heavenly father. So we are to be a truth teller in love like he is. Amen? Amen. Now, Paul says the reason for speaking truth, here's why you tell the truth to one another, because, quote, we are all members of one body. So, so that means if I hurt you, I hurt me. See, if I hurt my foot, I hurt me. If I hurt my hand, I hurt me. If I hurt you, I hurt myself. So if I lie to you and you're hurt by a lie, I have really hurt myself. It's the same as a, a husband and wife. It says to the husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. Now watch this. And this is in Ephesians, and we're going to be getting to that next week. This very topic, the family. But he says to the husband, he that loves his wife is loving himself. For we are members, we are joined together as one. So, if I hurt her, I hurt me. If she hurts me, she hurts herself. And husbands, let me tell you, sometimes a man will have a moping, sad husband, or, or, or a man will have a hope. Boy, I got to back up on that one. <laughs> Woo, it is hot in here. Sometimes a man will have a moping, sad wife, and, and there are times the reason is in him. Okay, because the wife is a reflector. Ready, guys? A wife is a responder. She responds to how she's treated. So she's walking around sad and beat up and downcast and staring at the ground, and you look at her and you say, wow, what happened to her? Sometimes it's the home. Sometimes it's the home. So as you treat her, you're really treating you because she is you and you are her because marriage is the only time when one plus one equals one. One plus one equals one. You're not two separate entities anymore. So extend that into the body of Christ, Jesus' wife, and realize that if I lie to you, I've lied to me. If I hurt you, I've hurt me. Think about that. Then next, the Lord focuses on anger issues. Uh-oh. Now, I know nobody in here gets angry, but, but you can get the CD and take it to somebody who has an anger problem. Okay? How many of you can say, I, I've been angry at least once in the last year? Okay, we need to have an altar call on liars, too. How many of you can say, I've been angry in the last month? 
How many of you can say, I got angry today? I did on the way here in rush hour traffic. It's my biggest test. There was two complete standstills on I-35. I-35 and me don't get along. But anyway, look what he says. First you deal with the words of your mouth, then you deal with anger. He says, say it with me, everybody. Be angry, but don't sin. Look what he says then. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now that verse, I could stay on the rest of the night. There's two Greek words for anger. One is orgidzo. Orgidzo, which means a settled, abiding condition of mind. This is the person who's angry underneath. They're just an angry person. It doesn't take much to set them off. When you get to know them, you know they're just always kind of angry underneath. They're an ang- After you get to know them some, you find yourself saying this. They're just an angry person. They're more angry than anything else. This happens from being hurt in the past, being abused in the past, wounds in the soul, And you don't know it, but deep down inside of you, you're just angry at God, you're angry at life, you're angry at people, and you haven't really sat down to um, examine yourself and how you are angry. And when somebody gets to know you, they they get to know the the real you, which, which is not all bad, but they do notice you're an angry person. I happen to believe our nation is filled with angry people or gidzo, an abiding Condition of mind, just underneath, they're always simmering. The second kind of anger is thumos, which is an outburst of anger. It's an explosion of temper. Now, this person explodes in wrath, and then it just as quickly subsides. While the other person, or gidzo, is always angry just beneath the surface. Now, I, I ran across a YouTube today of a genuinely... A great example of thumos, the explosive kind of anger. Let me set it up while they're getting ready. They're, I'm going to show. I had to show this to you. There's a band playing, okay, and, and I think it's a Christian band, and they're playing. And you got to keep your eye now on the the acoustic guitar player, because he's going to show us in a brief 30 second clip what thumos looks like. Okay, let's run it. Okay, here's what he said. He said, seriously, has anybody even listened to this music? Kablam! Kathy wrote me and said, we ought to try that sometime. (laughs) She emailed it to me. But you see what he did? He just blew and destroyed his guitar and stomped out. All these church kids were sitting there ducking and looking and in shock. So everybody say, wow, he blew his temper. But you know what? That's what you do with thumos. You put holes in walls, you break things, you throw things, you slam things. And then, you know what he did probably? Went out the parking lot, said, man, that wasn't cool. I need to go back in there and make things right. I'll bet you within an hour, they were all loving each other, hugging each other. And he was out about $500 for that guitar. 
How many of you are glad I showed that to you? Okay, I'm just snazzing things up a little bit. Now, that's, that's thumos, explosive temper. Now, Paul, when he tells us not to be angry, that is not to go to bed angry, is pulling from Psalms 4, verse 4, where he says, in your anger, don't sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Don't go to bed angry. Don't go to sleep angry. I shared a wedding one time with another pastor who was really low 90s. And he was splitting the wedding with me. He had his little part to play. And his wife was out there. And they had been married most of their life, like 65 years, something like that. So I said to him, what's the secret to you being married all this time and you look like you still like each other? And he said, it was based on what the man who married us told me. What did he tell you? He said, he told us, never go to bed angry. Never go to bed angry. Because once you go to bed angry and you sleep on it and wake up with it and begin to walk around with it, it settles. And you tend to not deal with it. So I have a little deal. That is, never give anger any longer than a 24-hour shelf life. If you put a gallon of milk outside and leave it for 24 hours, it goes sour. If you leave your anger longer than 24 hours, it's going to go sour on you. Don't be an angry man. Don't be an angry woman. Get rid of it. It's a rattlesnake in your soul. It will destroy you. Anger will eat you up alive. It'll age you before your time. It'll give you ulcers. It'll take away your sleep. It'll give you a furrowed brow. It'll make you what you don't want to be. Anger can be good. When I see injustice and I get angry about injustice, and that happens to me about once or twice a day, um, that's a kind of anger God gave us. Because if we didn't get angry about injustice, nothing would ever be changed. So that's a good kind of anger. But he says, be angry, but don't sin with your anger. Don't have that abiding anger. Now, here are some causes of the wrong kind of anger. Selfishness. Selfishness. Anger can spring from selfishness as well as injustice. We should check our motives, church, carefully, so that we don't justify righteous anger. We don't say, well, I'm angry, but it's justified. It's righteous anger. Well, maybe but it may not be. When it has more to do with self than with God's righteousness, you probably need to get rid of it within 24 hours. Control. For me, I think this is the biggest one. This is where most anger comes from. Control issues. We're often angry because we don't get our way. That's most marital problems, most home problems, most church problems. We're not getting our way. Things are not going the way we think they should, so we get angry. I think most sinful kind of anger springs from this. When our perceived rights are violated, we experience anger. Now, let me tell you something about rights. We're, we're in a nation that preaches rights more than at any time in our history. We, Right to this, right to that. I, I can do this sexually, that sexually, be this, be that, go here, go there. You can't tell me this, you can't tell me that because I've got a right to do, to be, to, to whatever. I've got my rights. 
But you know what? In Christ, we lose our rights. Now listen carefully. If you want to get rid of anger, then give Jesus your rights because you know what? He already has them. You're only acknowledging spiritual truth and reality when you go ahead and relinquish and vanquish your rights. In a marriage or in a home, that's where anger simmers. I'm not getting my rights. This person's not doing what I expect. That person's not doing what I want. It's failed expectations. And when those expectations are failed in the home, when they are frustrated, that's where anger comes from. But you know what will set you free? When you just say, Lord, I don't have a right to this, that, or the other. I'm giving it to you. And I'm going to trust, watch this church, I'm going to trust your sovereignty. And I'm going to take it to prayer. And if it changes as a result of prayer, praise God. But if it doesn't, then his grace is sufficient for me. And I give up that right. And when I give up, watch this, when I give up my rights, then anger goes away. It's when I, man, I want my rights, I want this, I want that. That's when I get angry. And, and our rights are always going to be frustrated and disappointed. So that's one of the ways you just deal with anger. It's amazing how giving up all our rights to Jesus can help us to deal with the anger issue. Now there's bitterness. Bitterness is another anger source. Anger can turn into a deep-seated bitterness if we let it go past 24 hours. The Bible says don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't give anger longer than 24-hour shelf life. Remember, it says, I pray that not any one of you fails of the grace of God. Watch this, church. I pray that none of you fail of the grace of God. That means I pray that none of you fail to respond to God's grace when you're offended. If you, because the grace is extended when you're offended and the grace is there to help you to forgive and do the Christian thing, the Christ-like thing, and move on. But if you don't respond to the grace of God that's there to help you forgive, then you fail of the grace of God. Yeah. And, 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 and when we fail of the grace, it's like two roads are right here. And we can respond to grace or we can fail of the grace of God. If we respond, we go on with Jesus. If we fail of the grace of God, we head straight toward a root of bitterness. Because the anger is going to remain. So there's the anger, and the anger puts down roots. And as goes the root, so goes the fruit. If the root is anger, the fruit is going to be bitterness. Now, now I know this is a somber topic, and you're not about to jump up and shout and give me a big rousing hand, but this is where we live, and this is where we die. This is where we make it, and this is where we are broken in anger. There are people all over this city that are not in church because they did not deal with anger. Amen. There are people whose walks with God are, are absolutely aborted because they didn't deal with anger. And the grace of God came, I'm here to help you to forgive. And they said, no. They fail of the grace of God. And the root of bitterness goes down and then it says, that root springs up and it defiles many. Yeah. Have you ever lived with anybody bitter? 
Have you ever had a friend that was bitter? you ever been in a company that had somebody bitter near you? Let me tell you what it does. It springs up and you get touched by it and you get touched by it and everybody in your orbit gets touched by it because it springs up and it defiles many with the defilement of your anger. So that's why anger, don't look at it like, well, I'm just going to cuddle this and pamper this anger and I'm just going to, I'm just going to pat it on the back and say, that's okay. You can stick around. I'm going to nurse the anger. I'm going to rehearse the anger. And, and, and as you do that, I read once this family fed an alligator, these little children in Florida, they live near a pond as, as many in Florida do live near some water. There's a little bitty alligator. So every time these kids go by, they throw this little bitty alligator, some food and the alligator would eat it up, and they began to see this little alligator as their pet, as their friend, but it grew. And they go by and feed it, and go by, feed it. One day, a few kids, true story, I was in Florida when it happened. These kids walked by, that gator lunged and took one of them down underwater, and it was over. What they thought they could nurse rose up and destroyed them. Folks, that's what anger and bitterness do. You, we, oh, I, I'm just going to pet this anger. I've got a right to be angry. There's that right. I'm going to nurse it. I'm going to rehearse it. I'm going to disperse it. And before you know, rawr, Are you there? It becomes bigger than you, stronger than you, and it devours you. So I'd rather be devoured by the Holy Spirit in a good way. Amen? Can we just thank the Lord for helping us to be free of anger? Let's lift our hands. And I'm going to do something tonight. Say, Lord, I just give you any anger in my heart. I give you any anger that I'm nursing, that I'm rehearsing, that I'm dispersing, and I pray. Free me of it. I forgive and I let go of this anger. I will not allow it to devour me. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. That's good. And I I put here, I believe if we practice this advice, we would cut the workload of a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists and pastors, for that matter, It's a fact that a lot of our psychological stresses and abnormalities are the result of buried anger rather than anger which was openly dealt with and resolved quickly. Deal with anger quickly. Now, let's move on. It says it's a foothold for Satan. If you stay angry, it's a foothold for Satan. You let the devil in. The the Greek word for um, place or foothold is tapos, and we get topography from that word. It's literally saying, if you stay angry, you're giving the devil land in your soul. You're giving him land to operate in your life. You're opening a door to him. If you stay angry, if you stay that way, Satan's able to take land in our life. I don't want to give him one square inch of real estate in my soul. Do you? No. 
This loss of land manifests in a variety of ways. First, when we're angry, our inhibitions drop, don't they? And we say things without the normal barriers that wisdom provides. Have you ever noticed that you can't unsay what you've said? Just like when you hit send on that email, right? When you hit send, you you see something and you hit send. It's gone. You, You can't stop a sent email. You can't unsay things you say in anger. That's one way we give up real estate. Now, another way anger allows Satan to take land in our life is by the mere fact that anger is like cancer. It grows like that gator. It grows. If we don't deal with it, it becomes a root of bitterness. Bitter person gives up more and more land for the enemy day by day. The bitter person loses their walk with God, the sense of his presence, their fellowship with others. The worst thing about bitterness is that the very people you're bitter at are controlling your life by your bitterness. You say, I hate them. And as long as you say that and do that, they're control- the very people you despise are controlling you. That, that's reason enough to forgive. I never, rarely do I, well, 99% of the time, I don't forgive for the other person. I forgive to keep me free, first and foremost, because if I'm not free, I can't help anybody. So I forgive to keep myself free. I will bless an enemy to keep myself free. I will hug somebody that I know has been slamming me to keep myself free. Bitterness is that state of mind where in thinking you're hurting others, you're actually only hurting yourself. Let's read these about these two proverbs together about anger. Are you ready? A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Now, Proverbs 25, 28, let's read it. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Wow. Good stuff. God is known throughout the Bible as being slow to anger. We need to stop making excuses for our temper tantrums and become like our father. Amen? Amen. So we put on Jesus by taking charge of our words, and we put on Jesus by dealing with anger. And then next, the apostle turns his attention to our hands. Look what he says in verse 28, chapter 4. Let's read it together. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Now here he's dealing with the hands theft. What you say, the condition of your heart, and then theft, what you do with your hand. Now, many, many people today in our culture have grown used to taking things as long as they think they can get away with it. Can anybody say the government? (laughs) I, I could really come on on that one. Now watch. Have you noticed with me the dumbing down of Christian character in our culture? I never thought I would see the day that we celebrate liars, that we applaud theft if it's skillfully done. Shoplifting is rampant. People steal pencils and supplies from their offices. 
copies from the company copy machine. They steal time from their work day. And they don't think a thing about it. Not a thing. Let me tell you about the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will not let you steal so much as a pencil. I'm going to tell you now. The Holy Spirit won't let you. Because the Holy Spirit knows if you'll steal a pencil, you'll escalate from there. And theft is theft, whether it's small or great. So, uh, so Paul says, look, if you want to put on Jesus, stop lying, stop being angry, and stop stealing. Pastor Jeff, I wish I'd have stayed home tonight. <laughs> no, 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 no. We need to read this. We need this. I like this, don't you? Don't you want to be like Jesus? Seriously. When the boss is watching, we wear our little halo of righteousness. <laughs> but when he looks away, we steal with impunity. Our backslidden culture has grown to look at dishonesty as something smart. Something smart. Getting away with it is a mark of our cleverness. We didn't just lie. We're a good liar. Man, they are slick. They got away with it. And so our little children watch this. They watch these adults lying and stealing and then being applauded for it and admired for it. And what do you think they grow up to be? It makes me sit, and this is something that makes me angry, righteously. Because I watch it every single day in the news, liars and thieves and every manner of wicked person getting away with it and then being applauded for it. If they did it well, if they got away with it. Boy, they're a good liar. Johnny, you need to grow up to be just like them. They're a good liar. If you're going to lie, do it well like him. But listen, the Holy Spirit will not allow the genuine Christian to get away with this for very long at all. Conviction comes even with small things because God knows small thefts will lead to bigger thefts down the road. Folks, it will. And, and, and if we think we've got to steal something, here's what we're saying to Jehovah Jireh. I don't think you can get this to me. So I'm going to steal because I don't think you can get this to me. So we steal. And when we steal, it's an act of uh, unfaith towards God because, well, God, I need this. And gee, I just don't believe you're going to get it to me, so I'm going to take it. We don't ever have to do that. See that pencil? I almost took it. God, give me a pencil. You'll have a pencil before you're to your car. The Lord's cure for a former life of stealing is let him who stole steal no longer, but work honestly with your hands and earn an honest living. And then it goes one step more. The former thief should then take some of what he has earned and give it away to the needy. Because when you give it away, that thing in you that stole is reprogrammed. And your mind is renewed. That's what, that's what renewal of the mind is. It's erasing old ways and replacing them with new ways. So if you stole, then now earn an honest living, make some money, and then go give it away. Go give it to somebody who has a need. And that breaks that thing in you, and it renews your mind. It's God's psychotherapy. Rather than taking what doesn't belong to you, give what does belong to you to someone else who can't give anything back to you in return. 
Everybody say amen. Amen. Next, the word turns again to the words of our mouth. Now, this time he focuses on corrupt communication. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Verse 29. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, the word for corrupt is sapros. Sapros. It means spoiled, rotten. It's used to describe spoiled fish or decayed trees or rotten fruits or stones that are unsound or that are crumbling, that have lost their integrity. Figuratively, it means bad, evil, unwholesome to the extent of being harmful, what comes out of your mouth. Remember when James said, salt water and, and sweet, bitter water and sweet are coming out of the same fountain. These things, my brethren, ought not so to be. You ought not be blessing with one word and then cursing with another. So he's saying you're going to have to deal with the words of your mouth. Now I got lost there. There we go. Let me go. There we go. Now I'm good. I don't know how that happened. So don't let the corrupt communication, cursing communication. Sometimes it's good to check out what's coming out of our mouths. In the second half of verse 29, he gives three guidelines for judging our words. Are you ready for them? First, do they edify? Now, I'm not perfect in this by a long shot. And so I certainly am not up here with a halo over my head. We all deal with what we say. Okay? We all do. Because that's where we sin the most, with what we say. But here's the guideline. Do they edify? That means do they build up the person? The words you speak, are they building up? Are they enlightening? Are they encouraging? Or are they tearing down? Let me tell you, you can alter someone's destiny by one sentence aimed at them. Are y'all looking at me? Look at me. Look up here at me. Did you hear what I said? You can alter, for good or bad, a person's destiny by one sentence out of your mouth. Good or bad. You are a born loser. They go, oh, well, losers lose. Losers don't care. Losers self-destruct. So that's what I'm going to go do because that must be what I am because this person that I really look up to and admire just told me I don't have it. Or man, you are born to win. When I got in all my trouble as a teenager, you know why I got in so much trouble? Because I thought so little of myself that I allowed myself to self-destruct, get into all kinds of trouble because I didn't think anything of myself. And I got sent away. And where I got sent away was to this ranch where I was at for a year. It was a boy's ranch. There was a girl's ranch, a boy's ranch. And I was there on the boy's ranch. And one day I'm, I'm, I'm walking up. We, we had to walk up this high hill to get to the cafeteria where we would all eat. And there was about 100 of us on this ranch, juvenile delinquents, all kinds of troubled young men. And there I was among them. And no high school. I thought this much of myself. 
And I'm walking up there, and there were a lot of college students that worked at this place. And a lot of them were majoring in psychology. And, and one of them walked up to me, who I had kind of grown to admire, had kind of developed a friendship with. And you know what he did? He looked at me, who thought nothing of himself, and he said, Wickwire, you are a born leader. I went, huh? Me? And I said, me? He said, absolutely. He said, it's all over you. One sentence. One. And do you know that stuck in me like with super glue? And it would come back to me and come back to me. I thought, it made me feel like I had something to offer. And you know when God got a hold of me and filled me with the Spirit and began to open doors for me? Never in my entire life, ever, once have I sought a leadership position. I've always just ended up in it. Just ended up there. Just the door would open, and there I was. And I would always think back to what he said, you're a born leader. And let me tell you something about all of you. You're, a, you're born to walk with God and win through him. Every one of you. Every one of you. Say with me, God don't make no junk. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you are. Because you're a gift of God. So do your words edify. Do your words meet the hearer's needs? Or are they only spoken to vent your own frustrations? We ought to be asking, does he really need this? Does she really need this? What I'm saying? Some things need to be said however hard they need to be said. But many of the things we say could just as well be left unsaid. Now, third, are the words beneficial to the hearer? If love is our guide, then benefiting others with what we say should be our way of life. This is good stuff. This can save you some real money in a counselor's office. Okay? This is good stuff. This is right down where we live, isn't it? Our words can destroy or heal. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They can rip apart or they can build up. And our words lie at the very heart of our Christian faith. I want you to read this with me, what James wrote. If anyone considers himself religious, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Your, your whole profession of faith is worthless if you're not watching over the words of your mouth. Now in verse 30, Paul particularly singles out all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. I want to pull one of those words, slander, the Greek word blasphemia. We hear about blasphemy. We think of blasphemy, and that's when you have slandered a sacred um, personage like Christ or God. But you can also slander people. It's speech that denigrates or defames a person's character. Now, let me tell you something about all of us here tonight that I know is true because I know it's true of me. We've all told stories about people designed to tear them down in the eyes of others, haven't we? We've all done it. That's slander. That's slander. He says, put slander away from you. Put it away. And then finally, all this comes down to the number one thing all Christians should seek to avoid. What is it? Say it with me grieving the Holy Spirit. The things we've just talked about, all these things that we just read, listed, grieve 
the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he tells us what grieves him. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away. Put away from you. Lay them down. Walk away from them with all malice. The word for grieve is lupeo. Lupeo. That's grieve. It means to experience deep emotional pain. Really severe sorrow. It's a very intense word. It's even used to describe a woman who is in labor. That's how strong the word is, lupeo. That's how strong it is. That, that the Holy Spirit can be so grieved in us that he's... Isn't that amazing? It's very moving to me. As I studied this even this week, this was very moving to me. The Holy Spirit, folks, is not a force or some kind of impersonal ethereal fog or wind um, out there that's unable to feel or think or that doesn't have a will. The Holy Spirit's a person, the third person of the Godhead. Not only can he be grieved, and I'm going to close with this, but I want us to catch now the reality of who lives in us. If you know the Holy Spirit lives in you, raise your hand. He lives in you. He's made his home in you. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at what it says about him. The Holy Spirit loves. Paul says in Romans 15, 30, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. The Holy Spirit has a mind. Romans 8, 27 And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Holy Spirit knows all about you and knows what to pray for regarding you. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Bible's full of this. 2 Samuel 23, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. Acts chapter 8, verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Spoke in words to him. And then look at this one. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. What about that? Three men are on the way. So he speaks. He also knows. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except what? The spirit of God knows. He's aware of goodness. The spirit is aware of goodness. Acts 15, 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. How many of you know exactly what it feels like when you're about to do something, when you've decided something, you're going to go a certain direction, and this peace just overwhelms you, and you know it's good to you and it's good to the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's good. Now the Holy Spirit can be lied to. Acts 5.3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back some of the price of the land. And I thought he was lying to Peter. 
But the Holy Spirit was in Peter. And he lied to the Holy Spirit, actually. Holy Spirit can be tested. Acts 5, verse 9, then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Isn't that amazing? Holy Spirit appoints overseers. Acts 20, verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So overseers are not appointed by election. They are appointed by selection of the Holy Spirit. He can be a witness. Acts 5.32, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. Anytime you preach the gospel, you've got the Spirit working with you to witness to what you're saying. He can be resisted. Stephen said to them in Acts 7.51, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. I personally believe America is resisting the Holy Spirit as a nation. So in closing, the way to avoid grieving the Holy Spirit is found in chapter 4's closing words. Let's stand and say them. Can we? I want you to read this out loud with me and we're going to be done. Are you ready? And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's how we avoid grieving the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good Holy Spirit of God. I just sense him here, church. Can we lift our hands to him? And let's just say, Holy Spirit, I don't want to grieve you. Help me to walk in a way pleasing to you in Jesus name. Amen. Let's sing one stanza of worship and then we're going to dismiss.